This is draft season. Welcome to episode four, everybody. John Schmelk, Tony Pauline, your usual crew. Eric Crocker here with you. The draft season podcast is presented by Tommy Hilfiger, a PVH brand and an official partner of the New York football giants. We're working on getting outfitted by Tommy Hilfiger. I wouldn't keep your fingers crossed guys, but I'm, I'm trying, I'm trying for you. We'll see if that happens. Um, but uh, thank you so much for being with us, everybody. Of course, as a reminder, Mike, make sure you go out there and subscribe to the draft season podcast feed. Just search for draft season on any of your special podcast platforms. We're there subscribe and you get a new episode every single week. Our last two, if you're looking for a player specific combine preview, uh, we do our top fives on offense on, on defense, make sure you go back into the archive and check out those episodes. Today, we'll be talking about the combine specifically in terms of, you know, what's important, what it means to front offices and what players either will show out or need to show out when you start doing things like interviews and some of the events and things of that nature. Gentlemen, it's good to be with you. Tony, let's start here. You've been doing a lot of reporting on how this combine almost was a bit of a dud because yep. there was some controversy last week. Agents not wanting their players to participate because of the bubble. But it seems like within 24 hours, the NFL is like, no, 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 no. Let's do what we have to do to get this thing done. How did it happen? What went down? Yeah, well, I, I mean, you go back to the uh, end of January. I was reporting on Pro Football Network that there was going, going to be a bubble. The plans were for the players to be placed in the bubble. Now, let's go back further than that. Year For years, the combine was run by NFS, National Football Scouting. It's just in recent years that the uh, NFL, the league itself, has sort of gotten this grip on the combine because they see a way to commercialize it, monetize it, and kind of bridge the gap from the Super Bowl to the combine to the draft. And they basically have stepped in and they, they've, they've forced the issue and they've made changes, not always for the good. One of the changes that they made was they put the bench press on the same day that players will do their on-the-field workout. And that really... Uh, really annoyed a lot of the players and a lot of the player representatives. Because remember, it used to be that the players used to bench the day before they did the on the yep. field workout. And it's not like they bench press, went back to the hotel room and put their feet up. No, they were doing interviews literally till 11, 12 o'clock at night. Sometimes they had medicals going on. So it's, it's a rigorous four or five days when they're there. And Tony, real quick, there's also a thing a couple of years ago and they changed all the events to the evenings too, which right. I know a lot of guys didn't like too, right? I, because they sit around all day. You right. know, they sit around all day, around, get up, get up and, and they're ready to work out. So they sit around all day and, and you know, because and they change it to the evenings for network television because they want to uh, monetize it. And they want to commercialize it. So basically what the league did was they said, OK, because of COVID, we're going to put these players in the bubble and we're not going to let them have any interaction with anybody. It's going to be uh, the players are going to be subject, uh, going to be restricted to the Players Hotel, the Crown Plaza and Lucas Oil Stadium. Well, what goes on in the background that people don't see, and I know, John, you're probably familiar with it, is the trainers, the guys that these players have been training with the past two month, months, they moved their uh, modus operandi to Indianapolis. They rent out big conference rooms in the Indianapolis Convention Center. They rent out rooms at the hotels like the Omni Severin. And then the players who they've been working with literally since the first of the year come in and they get stretched. They get massaged. They work on their 40 oh, times. If you're walking through the convention center, going from place to place, you literally see guys like training, running yeah. up and down the halls of the convention center. It's crazy. You see the strips of tape for the yeah. show runs and the strips of tape for the start of the 40. And that's what they're doing with their trainers. And the trainers are there to you know, for emotional support, because they, these are the guys that they've been there day in and day out. 
that was a big sticking point with, with the player, with the players and the agents. They were like, listen, you can't put our guys in the bubble and ask them to go work out, perform at their peak while they don't have their trainers who are basically their coaches, their training coaches, if you will, there. And, and that is what really, that's really where they butted heads. So what happened was the agents got together or the agencies that represent the, mo- the greatest amount of players at the combine got together and said, listen, you know, you want to have this on, on national television. You want to monetize it. Our guys are just going to go there. They're going to do the medicals. They're going to do the interviews, but they're not going to work out. We're going to tell them, wait till your pro day workout because you'll be in better shape. You'll be, you'll be more fit. You're not going to have to sit around all day. You're going to, because the pro day workouts take, you know, take place in the morning. Uh, and it's going to be a better situation. Finally, the league relented. They said, okay, listen, you know, if you're a player and you have some free time and you want to get out, you want to go visit your trainer, you want to go to downtown Indianapolis, that's fine. One other thing that happened was the state of Indiana lifted all their uh, COVID restrictions, I oh. believe, on February 17th. So, again, the agents were saying, well, listen, everyone else is free of these COVID restrictions and their mandates, but our guys have to stay in a bubble. It's not working. Crocker, it looked like you wanted to jump in there. Yeah, no, I mean, it really just a lot of it is just an inconvenience for the players and and going through those long, strenuous interviews and then, you know, being up at night, throwing off their sleeping patterns, then having to wake up and test extremely well, which really is the biggest job interview that they'll ever have in their life. You know, that that's a lot for these players to really kind of take in and get the maximum performance out of them. That's why, you know, I think we see better testing numbers at pro days. But I don't think it's as simple as just, oh, it's not accurate, as accurate, or as a maybe a combine. I think guys are more well-rested. Uh, they're better suited to it. They're not spending the whole day before doing all the interviews and everything. They're able to just go test and the extended period of time to improve on some of their numbers. I think that's why sometimes we see better testing numbers at pro days than we do at combine, which is really a strenuous process on all the guys. And I didn't even get into the medical testing aspect of it, getting poked, getting pride, having to go through these different physicals. You know, I know mine, when I got my interview with the New York Jets, it was a three hour long physical, you know, testing all my medicals, my shoulders, my knees and everything, the EGK stuff and had to go back and see if I had a heart murmur, all type of different stuff that, you know, you're not going through that on pro day. So just the combine in general, it's tough. And then, you know, you got the national television on all these guys and every single step that they take, is being watched by millions of people. And those medicals, sometimes that, that is almost a 24-hour day for some of those guys. I talked to a couple of guys, the last combine, which took place, 2020, they get up at 5.30 in the morning. They got to take the urine test. Oftentimes, if teams want MRIs or x-rays, they got to go out outside, you know, to, to the, uh, uh, the hospital in Indianapolis. It's not like, you, you know, Imagine when you go for an MRI and you've got to wait around for 30 minutes or 40 minutes. That's what's happening with all these players. They're sitting in the hospital waiting to get the MRIs taken. Then they come back and they go through the medical process. I talked to one guy from the 2020 draft. He was up at 530 in the morning for his urine test to start his day for the medical exams. He didn't get back to his room until almost three o'clock in the morning. So for some of these guys, that whole medical process takes 20, 21, almost 24 hours because it's just one thing after another, one test after you got to get x-rays, you got to get MRIs, they may send you back for another MRI, then you go through the different stations. That's why I don't uh, necessarily, I don't agree with a, a lot of things the NFLPA said, but when they released their statement about how the medicals are so inefficient, 
Uh, I don't think a lot of people understood that if they don't know the medical process at the combine. But it is crazy and efficient because these guys are up, like I said, 20 plus hours on medical examination day. Hey, Croc, that was your experience, too, right? Well, I didn't go to the combine, <laughs> so uh, I wasn't one of those guys. But just my experience is having NFL workouts and what yeah. went into that. You know, different scenarios being at a, a combine or a pro day. But one thing that's similar is just the eyeballs that are on just you and how much pressure that is on athletes. I think a lot of people think about testing in shorts and a T-shirt. They call it the um underwear Olympics and all that. But that, it's a very strenuous process for a lot of these guys and, and what it means for really their future that uh, a bad step here and there can cost them millions of dollars or for someone like me, thousands of dollars, right? <laughs> Where, you know, if I don't run extremely well, that's that's everything. And everything that you've done to get to this point is all for nothing. So the pressure that is on these players when they line up to run that 40 yard dash, I mean, we're talking about millions of dollars. And there'll be some of these guys that I talk about that I'm interested to see how they run. And I want to see it. All these organizations want to see it. But it is it's it's a little bit more pressure, I think, than the average uh, or casual fan understands. And don't forget, don't forget the field testing, the 40. The position drills, the vertical, that's the last thing that the players do. It's almost it, the combine should actually be run in reverse. They should get there, do their testing, do their position drills, and then go through everything else. The field testing is the last thing they do. So they've already been there for three or four days. They've gone through, you know, 20 hours of medicals. They're being interviewed day and night. The psychological test, and oh yeah, by the way, the last thing you're going to do is run the 40. You know, you're going to have to be in, in great physical condition. You're going to have to be on your game to run as fast as you can, to jump as high as you can, to jump as far as you can, do the shuttles. I mean, you know, what happens is, is when they're done with their testing, they get their bags, they get their sweats, and then they're shipped to the airport and they fly home. I mean, if you've ever been at the in Indianapolis, if you've ever been at the combine and you've got a late flight in the evening, seven, eight o'clock flight, there's a very good chance that one of the guys who just ran the 40 a couple hours ago is on your flight or is in the airport going back to where he may be ever got, where he may be going. Yeah, and we're gonna get back to all the testing, but really the most important thing at the combine, at least based on the people I've always talked to you guys is the stuff that the fans don't see. You know, you guys talked about the medical exams and the interviews. It's something that, you know, we don't see, but that's the type of access to these players that really, and, and we'll talk about the importance of the numbers too, but Tony, that's what front offices are really interested in, the medicals and the interviews, because that's the type of access you're not going to get again. You could run, you could be a defensive back and run a 4-2-2 in the 40, have a 40-inch vertical jump, have a 12-foot broad jump, run the, uh, the, the, the short shuttle in 3.78. If your medicals come back bad, you're going to drop like a rock. About 2006, when I was at the Combine, there was a tight end by the name of Brian Mandeville. He was uh, from Northeastern University, when Northeastern still had a football program. He was a guy who was really the first Rob Gronkowski type of a tight end. Six foot six, 255 pounds, a receiver playing a tight end position. They did a just a general stethoscope exa examination on him to listen to his heart. A doctor thought he heard something, sent him for more tests. Turned out the guy had a congenital defect, had to retire on the spot. His wow. NFL career was over. Eric Heitman, the very first uh, second combine I went to, 2002, I will never forget this. Eric Heitman, who was a real good offensive lineman, 
coming out of Stanford. He's walking around with a, a brown envelope, which had all the uh, uh, the MRI, MRI film in it. And he was furious. Oh, these back and knee injuries were in high school. Never bothered me. Eric Heitman was supposed to be a second round pick. He dropped to the seventh round of the draft that year because of what was in the envelope that he was carrying around, which had the x-rays and the MRIs. The medicals, we saw it with starting Lulu Laley just a few years ago. If you remember, everyone said star Lulu Laley is going to be a top uh, six pick. Something came up with his heart. They said it because he recently had the flu, this and that. What He, he goes in the middle of round one. The medicals were, are, are the biggest determining factor. People, like you said, we'll talk about the 40. We'll talk about the broader. Yeah, the interviews are very important, but the medicals will kill a guy's draft stock. Or bad medicals, I should say, will kill a guy's draft stock. Yeah, I mean, Maurice Hurst, you go back a couple of years ago, he was supposed to be a first-round pick, right? And I think going around five to the Raiders, if, if I recall correctly. Another guy... Um, Montez Sweat. Remember, Montez yeah. Sweat was supposed to be a top-ten guy who tested off the charts. You know, was supposed to be a top-ten pick. Had, it, had the issue with his heart, which they said wasn't, you know, at the time, everybody flipped out over, dropped half a round because of it. And then, Croc, I know in our last show, you talked about how much you love J.C. Horn, right? He was kind of like that alpha male, loved the attitude and stuff like that. And that's kind of the feel these guys and teams are trying to get for some of these guys in the interviews, right? Because, you know, you talked about, too, in our last episode about how the guys can, you know, handle, and you on this episode, too, how they can handle being in the spotlight, you know, running on national TV, taking all that pressure. These are some of the types of things that I don't think a lot of people think about when you're talking about how well an athlete can perform at the NFL level. But in the interviews, that's what these some of these things these teams are trying to find out when they get up close and personal with these guys. Well, I think, you know, we talked about Kayvon Thibodeau and some of the things that were said on television and how it came off. And I know if it sounded a little weird to me, pretty sure it sounds very weird to a lot of the NFL uh, personnel guys. So, you know, the interview process is going to be huge for not just Kayvon Thibodeau, but for all of these guys. For And they're going to ask some off-the-wall questions. Now, I never was at the Combine, so I wasn't asked these type of questions. But you go back to, you know, guys like Des Bryant. And they were asking him, hey, your, your dad a pimp, your mom a prostitute because of the age difference. And just all these wild questions that they're asking these players. And maybe some of it is just to see, hey, how does this player react? Or how do they deal with these traumatic experiences or whatever it is? And, you know, you don't know, like, man, do, do I be honest? Or, do you know, do I have to make up an answer that I feel like they want to hear? And you're not exactly sure how to do it. I mean, all those things go into this interview process. And that alone can be tough as well when they're trying to figure out the player that you are or really the person that you are away from the football field. And Tony, and, and Tony, by the way, that goes to coaching too, right? Because these players, the same way they have trainers for the 40 and trainers right. for the, the, the broad jumps, they have guys that train on interviews now. So you can't just go by what the guy says too. You got to sift through these words and see what's real and what's not. Well, what happens is, and it's going to be interesting because I've heard no definitive word whether the interviews are going to be the traditional in-the-room interviews at the Combine where guys are screaming at the prospect and they scream at the prospect. I'll get into that in a second. Or whether it's going to be over Zoom, which is what I had been hearing and reporting last week. I've heard no definitive information on it. But you're right. They're coached. But still, you don't know. Remember Ja'Kai Polite? Remember what happened with Ja'Kai Polite yeah. when they got in his face and they started asking him a lot of questions? Ja'Kai Polite froze up and then complained about it in the interview process, in the media interview about how they were, you know, you know, they were asking him questions that, you know, kind of threw him off. 
I had dinner with Ezra Cleveland uh, in 2020 after his workout. And Ezra Cleveland told me the funniest story. Ezra Cleveland was second round pick in the Minnesota Vikings, offensive lineman at of Boise State. He told me that he was in the room. I'm not going to mention the team, but they were screaming at him. Your film, your film is dog crap. You like garbage out there. And they were screaming at his stuff. I was like, how did you react? He said, I just laughed. He said, you know, I, I laughed. What else was I going to do? <laughs> and as Eric said, you know, they're looking for answers, but they're also looking for reactions as well. That's interesting. And, you know, just kind of, because I guess that's a test to see how they would handle hard coaching, right? So if you get a bad game, you go in the film room and, you know, I've heard stories, you know, guys go up and the coach shows some bad plays and some players can handle that. Some players can't and being able to, to react and, you know, improve off of that, that crock is really a, a big part of improving as an NFL player. You know, b- big time, you know, <laughs> I just had to chew out my son last night, you know, and talk to him about, you know, handling situations better or, you know, certain things and, and taking accountability, right? And when they're showing you bad plays, they want to see, are you going to take accountability for this play? Why did you make this decision? They want to understand the way that your mind works, the way your brain works, and maybe how you see the field. And are you going to have the mindset to improve on some of those things? And I tell people all the time, you know, these, these players that go on the top of drafts are extremely talented. Talent won't be the reason why a player doesn't work out or, or, you know, it's more so because of the person that they are, the mindset that they have, are they going to improve on, on certain areas that maybe have been overlooked because maybe they were the most physically imposing player on their pop Warner team, on their high school team, on their college team. Maybe they didn't have to go the extra mile to go above and beyond to improve their game. But when you get to the NFL, everybody's talented now. So what are you going to do? to go above and beyond to be the best NFL player that you can be. And some guys kind of just, hey, I'm just going to go off a natural talent. doesn't work out. You want to find out <laughs> ahead of time if the player is going to do that. Or some teams think maybe maybe we have the right things in place to where, okay, this, this player needs to improve on certain areas uh, from a maturity standpoint. We can help them with that. Sometimes they can't, and guys just end up being bust. Yeah, I, look, I think it's interesting, and I think being a fly in the wall in some of those rooms can be, you know, really a, a fascinating part of the process, to be totally honest with you. All right, Tony, you ready to move on to some of the events here? Let's do it. All right. Now, broadly speaking, I know a lot of people say, and Eric, you, you made this joke before, underwear Olympics, you know, big deal. They're not in pads. I get all that. But I think it's important for a couple reasons. One if you compete at the combine and you don't do well, you'll at least have your pro day to make up for it, right? If you skip the combine, then you have a poor pro day. Well, then you're you're finished because you don't have another chance to kind of make yourself, you know, look pretty good. And really, it's it's the only even playing field that we have, Tony, right? Where everyone's on the same field in the same circumstance on the same turf. And you can really measure some of this stuff. And you have every decision maker in that room seeing one cornerback move, Five seconds later, they see another cornerback move, and it's really the only time where you have these guys all in front of you at the same time, and you can really compare them player to player. Well, you know, the testing, the 40, the vertical jump, those are basically athletic tests. That's what they're looking at. And all things being all things being equal, all things being even, the better athlete is going to win out 99% of the times. And when you talk to scouts, they look at players, they look at a prospect, and they say, what does he do well? Well, if he's a real good athlete and we got the testing to back it up, that's something he does well. So you, they feel they can coach that. You know, the position drills, we've talked about this. You, you know, we talked about it when we talked uh, top five defensive players. 
all of a sudden now they have to do NFL techniques in, in the position drills. You know, the defensive backs constantly side shuffling down the field. You know, they have a test where they got to backpedal 10 yards, flip their hips and, and, and run another 10 yards and they get time for that. So the position drills, now all of a sudden they go from the comfort of just do what you do well in the college field to, no, this is what you have to do in the NFL. You have to practice these techniques and they want to see that uh, on the field at the combine. And, Croc, these are things these coaches look for in practice every day from their guys. So these position coaches watching these position drills will probably get a pretty good feel for whether or not these prospects can do what they're going to be asked to do in their specific systems. And, look, the best GMs, right, are not going to pick players their position coach says can't play for us, right? So that's important here in these drills to show these position coaches, that, to Tony's point, that these players can do what they're going to be asked to do at the NFL level. Listen. My, my most stressful time with changing my technique and everything was actually with the San Jose Sabercats, see all my Sabercats stuff behind me. And we actually won the Arena Bowl that year, 2015. But they switched up all of my technique. And I, it took me a couple months for it to click and figure out. It, it was such a frustrating process. I, I think at some point, I'm like, man, do they, why did they pay me all this money? Do they even want me here? You know, and they because they switched everything up and it was so hard to kind of catch on to. Now, imagine me having months to kind of catch on and it eventually click. These guys have a day where not even a full day of where you're being asked to do stuff totally different sometimes than what you've been asked to do previously. And you can look kind of funny doing it at times. I remember and I brought up Josh Jackson uh, on the last episode, but Josh Jackson, he looked funny. Just working a backpedal, it looked like it was foreign to him. It looked like something he had no idea how to do it. And and then, you know, these guys, they're taking notes. And again, I, going back to some of my workout days with these NFL scouts, I remember the Philadelphia Eagles having a private workout with them. It's just me and it's 50 or 60 people from their front office watching my every move. And if you look funny doing things, you just you just see them do this check things off. And it's just like, man, you, you, you just feel it like, Oh man, like that's not good. And I'm pretty sure guys like Jackson, where they get in that back pedal, something that's foreign to them and they haven't really been coached up to do. It can feel a little weird. And in that you just kind of, that sense starts to settle in on, I didn't do too good in that. And, and that's not a good feeling. Not in that moment. What are the drills, Tony, that you think are, and, 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 and we'll get to the pure athletic testing in a second. What are the drills that you think are most valuable? Fans are watching NFL Network on TV for them to watch that all the position coaches are watching that'll really give them a feel for what, you know, some of these players might be able to transfer to the NFL level. It depends on the position and yeah. it depends on the player. You know, a guy like Drake Jackson is the 40 important for uh, Drake London. I'm sorry. The receiver from USC is the 40 important for him. Yeah. But you know, what's more important. The three cone as well as the shuttle, because that, that will tell, you know, does he have that change of direction? Can he move from left to right quickly? You know, what is his route running going to be like, as well as the position drills? How is he doing it? How is he running routes during position drills? Is he gathering before he, he, he gets into his breaks? Is he chopping his, uh, his steps? Is he chopping his footwork? Or is he in and out of the breaks quickly, staying low on exit? So I don't think... I think it's you can't broad rush it. You got to look at the position and you got to look at the player. You know, some guys are going to be really fast in a straight line, but how do they do with the three cone? How do they do with the shuttle? How do they do, you know, changing direction during the position drills? How about you, Croc? 
Yeah, I think, you know, just trying to decipher between what's important for a player and what's not. And I just saw someone post something on social media about uh, Cooper Cup and his pro day numbers. And, you know, he ran a four, six, I mean, excuse me, combine numbers. He ran a four, six, two. That's not ideal, right? But look at some of the other numbers. His short shuttle was extremely good. It was like six, seven or something like that. So it shows, hey, he has that short area of quickness. Get in and out of breaks in that way and change direction. Maybe he doesn't have the uh, legit speed to be in a pure outside receiver. But you know what? Because he tested well in these areas, we could put him in the slot. Well, now he looks like one of the best receivers in the NFL. Does a lot of his work out of the slot. But the short area quickness, the smarts, the understanding of how to settle and sit in zones, he's pretty much perfected those type of things. I think it starts with his ability to have that short area quickness that you saw at the combine with the numbers that he posted. So I think part of it, too, is kind of deciphering what's important for players like Tony said. Yeah, and and the other thing is everybody talks about the 40. The 10-yard split is just as important because the 10-yard split is an indicator of how quickly a guy can get off the line. And Cooper Cup, you know, maybe he runs a 4-6, but if he is – you know, slightly a tenth faster than everybody else is in that 10-yard split. That means he gets off the line quicker. That means he gets immediate separation. The quarterback can get the ball to him right away because he's open. No question. All right, so let's talk about some of these specific, you know, numbers and drills you get for positions. And I think, you know, the one thing that's pretty consistent in the league, if you want to be a good edge rusher, you better be a phenomenal athlete. Like, it's hard to be a great edge rusher and not be a great athlete. And I know one of the numbers that I've seen that closely correlates a lot of that is the three cone drill for for those you know edge guys that are coming out of the three point stance. It does change your direction, some bend, some explosion. Uh, why Tony and do agree first of all that that's really important for that spot. And if you're looking for an edge rusher, what are some of the other numbers you're keeping an eye on where athletic testing is really important for that spot? Well, it's important because it basically almost simulates, it mimics you know what an edge rusher has to do. You've got to make a almost a, a 45, a 90 degree turn. I'm sorry. Uh, you've got to keep your balance. You've got to keep your speed. You've got to stay on your feet. So, you know, again, when he's making the turn in the three cone, is he gathering into the turn or is he able to keep his momentum and balance? So, yeah, it's important. Again, I go back to the uh, the 10 time. The 10 time, the 10 split is very important for a uh for an edge rusher because it shows it kind of simulates his ability to get off the snap and get that first step on opponents. But the guy's got a slow 10 time and you can't get that first step on the offensive tackle and you're an edge rusher, you're going to have problems at the next level. Obviously, you know, the vertical jump, they don't do vertical jumps in the NFL, but it does show explosion. It just show lower body explosion, the ability to basically blast off the snap. So the 10 time, the three cone time, I also like to see the vertical jump and also the, uh, the broad jump as well, not because they do it during the NFL game, but because it's a representation of lower body explosion. Also, I think for edge rushers, that that 10 yard split, I think it's very important for those guys showing that get off. One of my guys, my guy, Ayo Adowu, uh, shout out to my guy, Ayo. He trains a lot of defensive linemen, edge rushers, things like that. And he emphasizes almost exploding off of the ball in a track stance to get up field right now. And, you know, when you watch these guys, you want to see how they get out in that 10-yard split. You know, I talked about uh, Nick Bosa maybe not being the most freakish athlete in the sense of his uh, straight line speed and his 40-yard dash ran like 4-8. But his 10-yard split was extraordinary. And that's, I think, one thing that really kind of translates for some of these guys. Aiden Hutchinson, that's what's going to be important for him. Okay, we know he's not a speed guy or maybe his pursuit won't be as good as his teammate. Uh, David Ajabo. But how does he get off in that 10-yard 
uh, stretch right there? What's his time? And how does that measure up with some of the other edge rushers? I think it's going to be important for him and not just him, but a guy like George Karloftis as well that might have some athletic questions. Yeah, and I'll be honest with you too, guys. I know people are obsessed with the 40-yard dash for wide receivers and all that stuff, and it's important. I'm not saying it's not. you got to run. you got to be fast. I think the league is more of a change of direction league now than it is a straight ahead speed league. Like I want to see those short shuttles. I want to see that three cone drill. You mentioned the short shuttle with, with uh, Cooper cup crock. And I, I agree a thousand percent because to me, the more you can change direction without slowing down, that's how you force missed tackles. That's how you create separation in your routes in addition to your speed. And I think, unfortunately, those are some of the drills that a lot of these guys don't do. Like almost everyone runs to 40. You see a lot of guys skip, some of those change of direction drills, Tony and Crockett. And I, and I think that might expose some of those weaknesses. Now, there are guys that can overcome that. Remember, DK Metcalf's three cone was historically awful. But the guy's, you know, <laughs> 6'5", 240, and he's just a freak running down the field and contested catches and body and all that sort of stuff. So he can make up for that sort of stuff. But I think... Well, it's the speed, too. Real, real quick, John. I mean, he, he ran 4-3, low 4-3, yes. right? Mm -hmm. So maybe his change of direction isn't that of a... Cooper Cup, but it doesn't have to be because right. I can win in a different way. So I think also figuring out how does the guy win and does he have any other elite traits? Maybe it's not a short shuttle, but hey, if I can win vertically or I can run away from guys on crossing routes or I can use my 4-3 speed to push vertical and, yeah. and give the illusion that I'm running the go route and sit down, it's going to naturally create that separation for me on outside uh, vertically pushing routes. So I think you you also have to kind of figure out who, who is this player and how is he going to win and then that's going to kind of measure what's more important for a guy. But if you look at a lot of the, the best, quote-unquote, receivers or route runners in the league, they're not four or three guys, right? You look at Devontae Adams, there's a four or five guy. Look at a guy like um, uh, Mike Thomas, Thomas who wins. Yeah, and Mike Thomas, we're on the same page here. He wins. Not a, not a four, four guy. Look at a guy like um, uh, Keenan Allen. He's one of the best route runners in the league. Yeah. Not a four, four. Matter of fact, I think he ran a four, seven yeah, at a better. pro day. So, you know, a lot of it is, uh, can you have high-end controlled speed? So regardless of if I can run a 40-yard dash extremely fast, how fast can I run and still be able to break off my route at a high speed? Can I have high-end control speed? And those guys, they can win with routes regardless of not having the elite 40 times speed. You know, the 40-yard the dash is, you know, the Olympic event at the, uh, that, 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 the, that the NFL Network wants to see. It, it, it's for programming. It's always been there, and it's a mark of athleticism. But, John, getting back to your point about why a lot of these guys don't run the three-con, why they don't run the shuttle, those are the last events that they do at the combine that any player will do. They will do the 41st, they'll do the position drills, they'll do the vert and the, and the shuttle first. Those are the last events. And go back to what Eric and I were saying about how combine is a grueling, you know, four or five days of, you know, morning, noon, and night for these guys. So what happens is, and this is not to make excuses, a lot of these guys are like, you know what, I'll just do it at my pro day. If you're going to run a six seven five or a six seven eight uh, three cone, you're going to do it at the combine. But a lot <laughs> of these guys, by the time that they, uh, by the time it's time, by the time it is time for them to do the uh, the short shuttle, the three cone, even the long shuttle. Some of the, you know, we talk about the twenty shuttle. There's also a sixty shuttle for the DBs and the receivers. They say, you know what, I I'm just spent. I'm going to do it at my pro day. Yeah, that's interesting because I do think that's a. I think you put it best, Eric. To be honest with you, when you look at all these testings, right, and guys can win in different ways, but you have to see a way 
where the guy can win, right? Okay, can he win with his power if he's a defensive lineman, defensive tackle? Great. All right, is he really bendy off the edge? You talk about that hoop drill, Tony. When you run around the hoop, right, you see the kind of ankle flexion, how much their ankles are flexible, things like that. You know, if you're a receiver, you're winning with quickness, you're winning with speed. You know, I think you got to find that one way that each one of these guys can win. All right, so let's get to this class specifically, Tony, as we got about 10 minutes here to go. You can either start with an event. You can start with interviews. Go wherever you want. Guys that you think are really trying to help themselves here as they head to Indianapolis to help their draft stock. Well, I mean, the first thing is the Alabama receivers and the medicals. We talked about the importance of the medicals. Both of these guys are coming off of major knee injuries. They're going to be, you know, they're going to be tested. They're going to be MRI'd and and maybe x-rayed, you know, at the combine this week. And then they're going to be called back for the medical rechecks, which happened, you know, the beginning of April, right before the draft. So, And then, Tony, very quickly, just for fans, this is Jamison Williams and, and Mechie, correct? Correct. Both yeah. of those guys who, you know, I'm sure as every uh, viewers know, uh, the guys who hurt their knee in the semifinal game, as well as the uh, the national championship game, the medicals are utterly uh, are critical for those guys because it will determine, you know, was it a clean tear? Is it going to be a quick recovery or is it going to be a little bit longer? We may not get this guy back until October. As far as the, uh, you know, the players, you know, want to see uh, Kenny Pickett, want to see his arm strength compared to the other guys. That That's one of the beauties of the combine is, you know, you're not going to have a quarterback there throwing 50, 60, 70 passes like he will be at his pro day, but you're going to have quarterbacks going right after each other. And they're going to sometimes be thrown side by side. So I want to see how Kenny Pickett's arm strength is compared to the other quarterbacks, the other strong arm quarterbacks, the top of the class, whether it be Malik Willis, whether it be Matt Corral, whether it be uh, Carson uh, Strong. That's going to be something I'm looking at. Uh, some of the uh, offensive linemen, Cameron Jurgens, who I feel is one of the best zone blocking linemen in, in this draft. How much does he weigh? I'm told he's going to be closer to 300 pounds, where his playing weight was closer to 280, 285 pounds. So at 300 pounds, does he have good 40 times, uh, good 10 splits, I should say? Does he Is he moving well around the field? Is he moving with balance or is he all over the place? Uh, that's what I want to see, as, as well as the measurements. Uh, I mean, how tall is uh, Andrew uh, Andrew Booth of, uh, of of Clemson? You know, what is Daryl Daryl Derek Stingley like after not playing too much football the past two years? Those are going to be some interesting questions that have to be answered. How about you, Croc? Yeah, definitely. I mean, right away, Kayvon Thibodeau. I want to. <laughs> hopefully, we get some insight on you know his interview process and how that whole thing goes. I know a lot of people are going to be interested in that. Uh, Roger McCrary, cornerback, I think he has to run very well because you know the, the arm the arm length, they're going to knock him for that. The slight build, they're going to knock him for that. If he doesn't run extremely well, they're going to pigeonhole him into a just a pure nickel. And I think he has outside ability, regardless of the lack of length. I think he can play all over the field, and I think his film is tremendous. But we all know 40-yard dash – more so than anything, it's just going to cost you money. It doesn't mean they don't like you, right? Think back a few years ago with Jarvis Landry. ran like 4.77 or something crazy like that. But he still went second round because they like you. They will take you at some point, regardless of how you test. But Roger McCrary, is his 40-yard dash going to cost him money because some of the other areas where he's not uh, as ideal at, uh, especially with the length? I want to hear about the medicals. And you talked about medicals, Tony, but Matt Corral, how's that ankle that he's dealing with? And is, is that going to check out well? Another one, Drake London. He was in the midst of having a historically great season as far as receptions goes and yards and things like that. Matter of fact, he had the most contested catches in college football and didn't even play uh, like the second half of the season. But how are his medicals going to come out with his ankle? Is he going to be able to perform? Is he going to be able to do 
all the testing there. And if he is, again, like Tony said, what does that three cone look like? Um, and then George Karloftis, again, another guy who, you know, I'm curious to see how he tests. What is that going to look like? I think for my last guy, Tyler Lindebaum, because it, he, for a guy that's probably projected to be the top center in the league and coming out in this class, and he is tremendous with the movement and everything, he's 290 pounds. And he came out and said openly, yeah, 6'2", 290 pounds. That's not as ideal even for a center. The height, that won't be an issue, but that size, you know, you can be 290 playing in college football, but now you got to go up against, you know, guys like Aaron Donald and in the interior. And are you going to be pushed around by somebody that's more athletic than you, stronger and quicker than you? That's going to be interesting to see. So uh, those are some of the things I'm interested to, you know, see on, you know, storylines as far as the, uh, the uh, draft uh, combine goes. And you got to remember one thing about the medicals is we're never really going to know. I mean, you're going to hear snippets of information, but you're not going to get the medical grade. And the other thing is, it varies from team to team. I mean, not all teams, if let's say John Mechie's knee isn't good, not all teams are going to strike them. Remember Leighton Vanderush. I mean, Leighton Vanderush a couple of years ago with stingers and neck, there were some teams that flagged them. When you, when you get flagged, it's usually a round or two penalty because of a, uh, uh, a medical issue. And then there was a lot of teams like the Dallas Cowboys who said it's fine. Well, so Tony, he, and Tony, last year, Aziz Ojolari is a perfect example. He was a first-round pick until people saw that knee at the combine, and then all right. of a sudden he's a round two guy. Right, exactly. Uh, but, but see, the thing with Ojolari is you could tell that most of the teams in the league thought it was a major issue, which is why he fell so far. Right. Go back to Montez Sweat. They were talking about Montez Sweat after that heart issue where, you know, he was going to be a day two pick. He could fall into the fourth round. The uh, Washington football team, the commanders, whatever the heck they're called these, these days, <laughs> thought, thought otherwise, and, 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 you know, it took a roll of dice on What happens with the injured guys is teams will figure at some point in the draft, the reward outweighs the risk. And even though, you know, he may have, medical results or results from medical exams that are not exemplary, not what we want. At this point in time, we're going to roll the dice on it because the reward of this guy on the field is going to outweigh the risk of the medicals. Yeah, you know, the other part of this is thresholds, right? Some teams have specific thresholds for measurements and testings right. for specific positions. And I think, you know, we even talked about you know, the offensive linemen much because, you know, you think athletic testing, offensive linemen, you know, they're not, who cares about their 40 and all that stuff. But I, I got to tell you, when they measure Equanu, when they measure Charles Cross, when they measure Evan Neal, um, weight for Neal is going to be, I think, a little bit important to see how good a shape he's going to be in. I think Equanu, Tony, you think he's more of a guard, right? Well, how well does he move, right? How well does he do in, in, in the three cone and the lateral moves? The people, the, the, does he sell people that he's attacking? Remember, before we got to the combine two years ago, a lot of people thought Tristan Worse was a guard. Then he worked out. Yeah. People were like, nah, he's a tackle. That was really good. <laughs> so, you know, I think it's kind of important for those top three guys on the offensive line for arm length and movement skills. Because, look, if you're going to measure under 33 inch arms, people are going to say, well, maybe you're not a tackle. Maybe you do have to play guard. So I think for those offensive tackles, as we try to sort out what order they're going to go in, those things are going to be very important for, for, for that group of guys, too. One last thing I want to mention about the uh, medicals. Uh, you know, Chris was talking about Drake London and some of the ankle guy, guys with ankle injuries. Matt Corral, I was talking about the uh, uh, the Alabama receivers. Keep an eye on Carson Strong. Carson Strong had a massive knee injury as a senior in high school. And they go back to high school, uh, high school years. And there's been speculation that it's a significant knee injury and that he could really drop. I've heard that everything from it's OK to the fact that 
He's got a bone on bone, which is going to kill him to the fact that he may need cadaver surgery. Nobody knows at this point in time, but keep an eye on Carson strong with the, uh, with the medicals, because, you know, it's either going to be okay, or he could be one of those guys like Aziz Ojolari, where he's going to drop significantly because the results are not uh, what NFL teams want. You know, Croc, a lot of people right now have Garrett Wilson as a number one wide receiver. I know some people think that he might measure more in that four five 40 yard dash category, but he's a really good route runner. He can make contested catches and stuff like that. How much do you think some of this testing could impact the top of your wide receiver list? You know, I think big time. And again, it's not going to be, you know, oh, a team doesn't like you because Garrett wasn't, he ran a four or five, but the 40 yard dash, it just costs you money. <laughs> and that's what we've seen historically, especially if uh, they want to start nitpicking at certain parts of your game. So I think for Garrett Wilson, you know, love him and his ability. And, and I think he runs very well on film and speed didn't seem like it was an issue, but if he doesn't run as fast, it is something that could potentially knock him. Now, last year, Devonte Smith, he was 165 pounds. They didn't care too much about that. He's still a, a, a top 10 pick. He also, uh, some people were saying that he potentially doesn't run as fast. I thought he ran fast. <laughs> he ran fast away from uh, Derek Stingley, but you know, <laughs> some people were saying, Oh, he might be a four or five type guy. But he still went top 10. So I wouldn't worry about it too much because I think what people are seeing from his film, they really like it. But 40, it definitely can cost you some money. Yeah, I, I, the interesting thing is this is Jameson Williams is one of the top receivers in this year's draft. He's not going to test. He's, probably, he's not going to test before the, uh, before the draft. So, right. you know, with Jameson Williams, it's going to be a roll of the dice. Uh, and then after that, you know, Drake London, 40 time, 10 split, you know, three cone time, three cone. time. Yeah. Traylon Burks. 40 time, 10 split, three cone time, uh, you know, uh, 20 yard, uh, 20 yard shuttle. So you, you, you want to see it from those guys. It, it's, it, it's interesting with the uh, receiver position and the testing because possibly the top receiver in the draft is not going to work out before the draft. And then you have all these other questions about these bigger receivers and how does that testing translate to being able to run routes in the, on Sunday and separate in the NFL? Yeah, and Tony, as per your suggestion, I did go back this week and I watched Olave's uh, first two years of tape, yeah. and you're right, uh, much more varied route tree. I thought I thought he was much more sudden coming in and out of his breaks, and to see the way he creates separation on a straight line, I could see him be one of those low four three guys in the forty. He is gonna fly, and he plays that fast. Yeah. That's the thing is, you know, you everyone will talk about you know forty time at the combine. But does a guy play that fast? And Alave is one of those guys who plays as fast, if not faster, than his 40 time. All right, guys. Plenty of times with with Justin Fields getting behind some defenses. All right, guys. Final thoughts before um, Tony and I are going to head out to the combine. We'll do a special hit on Big Blue Kickoff Live while we're out there. Then we're going to reconvene for episode five. We'll recap the combine uh, next Monday, everything that went on. So make sure you check it out, guys. Any final thoughts before we head out? Kenny Pickett, I reported this uh, last week uh, on Pro Football Network. Everyone's talking about his hand size. They can get his hand measured at the Senior Bowl. I'm told Kenny Pickett will have his hand measured at the combine. I also learned something interesting. His double-jointed thumb, if you can see my hand here, has caused him to have a, a almost a vertical stance of his thumb rather than an outward stance as what a quarterback would do when he uses the uh, when he grips the football. I'm told that Kenny Pickett has been doing range of motion exercises to get <laughs> that uh, thumb from a vertical stance out to a horizontal stance. 
The bottom line is I still don't think it's going to be nine inches, which is what a lot of teams want, but I think it's going to be significantly better than the eight and a quarter inches that scouts had him written down for when they measured him during junior timing day. So, Tony, when are you doing your own personal medical exams in, in Indy? Is it at your hotel? Are you renting a space at the convention center? What are you doing? Uh, uh, I'll pass. I'll wait to get the results from you, John. Thanks. <laughs> I, I'm going to try to convince our social media people to use your thumb rotation as a promo clip for Twitter. Croc, your final thoughts heading into the combine. <laughs> you know, final thoughts, I think everybody knows. I love my receivers, my defensive backs, and Traylon Burks. I think he's going to test well. I'm curious to see, does he test as well as I believe he is? And some other people, can he run in the four threes? That would be exceptional for him. And then just how he looks running routes, getting in and out of his breaks, having to do some of those things. How does he track the ball in? Curious to see that as well with Traylon Burks out of Arkansas. Have any quarterback stuff you keep an eye on? We haven't mentioned them so far. Myself? I mean, I think, like I said, I just, I just want to see Kenny Pickett's ball speed. No, I'm sorry, corner, cornerback. I said cornerback. A corner? Oh, corner, yeah, yeah, yeah. Tariq Woolen of uh, uh, Texas San Antonio, a uh, former receiver. I expect him to test through the cho- through the roof. I mean, he's probably going to run. Uh, if, he, if he doesn't run in low 4.3s, he's going to run the high 4.2s. You can expect that from Tariq Woolen because he's a great athlete. But how does he do in the position drills? Because he's new to position. He does a lot of face guarding. Want to see his back pedal during position drills. Want to see, you know, his hip flip. Again, everybody talks about the, you know, the 40 time and everything else. The position drills are just as important, especially for a position uh, at, at, like the defensive backs. Croc, you still with us, buddy? I am still with you. I got a phone call in the middle. That's all right. Go ahead. <laughs> Your final thoughts on the corners before we say goodbye. I like <laughs> I like the Garfield cat that's up there. It's pretty good. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'm back. <laughs> all right, but uh, guys, I threw off my train of thought. But yeah, Tariq Woolen, that is somebody. And, you know, I suggested to him, I talked to him at the Senior Bowl, hey, you need to get with Antonio Comardi. You guys are built similar, long, tall corners. Get with somebody that understands your movement skills and your ability and what to be challenging for you. I set that up. Antonio Camardi said, it's all good. Whenever he's in Texas, we can definitely link up. I'll train him. Uh, we'll see if he takes that advice and if you took any of it heading into the combine week so we can kind of be better prepared for it. All right, awesome. Tony and I will head out to Indy. We'll be there all week. We'll recap the combine when it's all done uh, next Monday. Make sure you come check it out on the draft season and make sure, again, you go and subscribe on your favorite podcast platforms or go to the Giants mobile app or Giants.com slash podcast. Make sure you check it out. For Tony Pauline of the Draft Network, of, of from Pro Football Network, pardon me, and oh. Eric Crocker of the Lockdown NFL Draft Podcast, I am John Schmelk from Giants.com. We'll see you next time on draft season.